I want to live my life with authority. Whether I succeed, whether I fail, whether I'm capable, whether I'm incapable, I want to live my life with authority. Whenever my final breath is, I want to know that I've done my part to the very fullest. I want to know that I've lived out my unique calling. I want to know that I've done everything I can to make my unique contribution to this world. That's the kind of life that I want to live. I don't want to live looking over my shoulder. I don't want to cower in fear of what others will think about me or what I'm doing. I know this is easier said than done. I know that I still have many insecurities. I still do want the approval and acceptance of others. But in my heart, I want to live according to my deepest beliefs and convictions. I want to live with courage. I want to live freely. I want to live a life that is uniquely my own. I want to live with the power of God in my life. I want to be transformed and changed so that I can live according to the will of God. I don't want to just settle for a comfortable and nice life. So I pray that I can have the faith and courage to endure difficulties that come from living according to my beliefs and convictions. That's the kind of life I want to live with authority. The chief priests and elders that we see in today's story, they had great authority. They had immense power. They were in charge of the temple. You have to know the role this played. It was a huge, huge thing. It was the very center of Jewish life. And the Romans gave all power to them over the Jewish people. And they even gave them power to tax any Jew anywhere in the Roman Empire. That's a lot of power. And it's a lot of money that comes. So the temple was the center of their economic life, their political life, social life, and religious life. And they had authority over all of that. And with that authority came many benefits too. That, that tax generated enormous wealth. So the chief priests and the elders, they had the best houses with the best views. They ate the best food, and they had the highest status among all of the Jews. They had great power and wealth. But this power came at a price. Their authority came from the approval of others. Their authority depended on acceptance of their rule. It depended on the Romans allowing them to continue to rule, and it depended on the people accepting their authority. And so the chief priests and elders, and not only that, they had to work really hard historically to get to where they were. 
lot of political, military uh, sacrifice that it took for them to establish their system and rule over it. It took a hard work. And so their main concern became protecting what they had built up, protecting their privilege and guarding their power and making sure there's no disturbance to it. So we can see today, we know nothing about what they actually believed. They were not driven by their deepest convictions. Beneath that awesome power, what we see is fear. This was the response to the question that Jesus threw back to them about John the Baptist. And they argued, the chief priests and elders, they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. What a cop-out. That's like how a lawyer answers a question. I don't know, it could be this or that, I don't know. There's no courage of conviction. No courage to say what they truly believed. And they're simply just looking over their shoulder. To me, that is, that's a weak and flimsy authority, no matter what kind of power and richness they have on the surface. John the Baptist, he was so different from the chief priests and elders. For those of you who know a little bit about him from the Bible, he was the guy in the wilderness. People came flocking to him and he baptized them. That's what I mean. He was in the wilderness. His authority came from no person or institution. He was was a wild man who lived alone out there in the desert. I mean, he ate locusts. He wore camel's hair. People thought he was literally insane and crazy. But he had power of conviction. He knew what he believed. And that is what he preached. That is what he proclaimed. Message from his truest beliefs. And somehow people were drawn to that message. They came from the cities and towns and villages. They heard his words and their hearts were moved. And they recognized that I need to change my life. And so the baptism became the symbol of repentance, of turning your life around. The authority that John the Baptist had came from within, deep from within, deep from a faith that was proclaimed and that ripped at people's hearts. That was real authority to me. What kind of authority are you seeking? What kind of authority have you been trying to live with? It's a very important question for us. Last week during a service, I was away because uh, I was guest preaching at uh, TKPC, Toronto Korean Presbyterian Church. That's a church that I grew up in from the time I was five years old to uh, an adult. It's a church that really shaped who I am. It's a place I met God. It's a place where I learned how to first become a leader. I remember my first time leading praise uh, on a praise team in High Sea Retreat. I was grade 8. 
I was sweating buckets. I was so nervous. I couldn't, I didn't even know what I was singing. I was just like, so I, I mean, all these things, it shaped who I was. It's the place where I first felt a calling to ministry. So being back there brought back so many memories. It made me really think back to where we've come from, where we're at right now, and where we're heading. I thought of these things too because it was a little sad. I mean, it was the English service, it was so empty. It was once a bustling place. I know a lot of you were there. And Reverend Kim was the first minister of the first English ministry in all of Toronto. At one point, it was like 200 people. All these people I looked up to and admired. And I mean, it was once a bustling place. And now, maybe like 20 people or so. And so it really made me think, where did everyone go? What are they up to now? And where are we going? Back then, the church, uh, it was such an important place for us. And by us, I mean people like myself, second generation uh, Korean Canadians growing up here. It was an important place. It was a place where we felt safe. And as I thought back, I realized, yeah, growing up in Canada as a visible minority, it was not easy. It took its toll on us. It inflicted many little cuts to our hearts and our souls. I remember how often a lot of us felt very unwanted outside. We felt like outsiders. The racism we experienced was kind of seared into our self-confidence. And so when we went to church, the church helped to absorb some of that pain. And we found some comfort a place where we can let our guards down a bit. But the church couldn't shield us fully from all these things. It didn't really help us understand what we were going through. It didn't help us reinterpret our painful experience. And so we had to sort of find our own way in this world and to survive. We had to fit in. That's what we had to do. We had to learn how to fit in. Fit in at school. Fit in our workplaces. Fit in our neighborhoods. Fit in the social circles that our children would start to belong to. Fitting in became the key to survival. And so that's how we lived, a lot of us. But over time, I feel maybe second generation and others like them became like, somewhat like the chief priests and the elders. I mean, a lot of the second generation have done really well, worked so hard to build up to where they're at right now. Worked really hard, studied hard, didn't complain, put your head down, did what you had to do, and built a good life, prosperous life. But I wonder, in our hearts, have we always had to look over our shoulder? Has maintaining the privilege and good benefits that we've earned, has that become kind of the center of our life? In our quest to fit in, I wonder if we 
lost a part of ourselves. I wonder if at the bottom of it, there's still fear that drives us. Fear of losing everything we've worked so hard for. Fear of losing the enjoyment that I have right now. I wonder if somewhere along the way, we sort of lost belief in ourselves. Belief that I have something unique and important to contribute to this world. I wonder if we've convinced ourselves that maybe this is as good as it gets. I mean, this is good right now. Why complain? Just enjoy what I have and just stay there. Stay in your lane. Just fit in and enjoy. I wonder a lot. In church, every week, we come and hear amazing words of how much God loves us of God's grace, we say amen. And we say, yes, we believe. But I wonder, have we in some ways become like the second son who said to his father, yes, I believe, but then didn't end up doing it when he left. We can say, yes, we believe and sing the songs here in church, but when we go out, Do we live with that confidence that we live in God's love and grace and therefore there's no need to fear that I can live freely according to my convictions because God will watch over me? Do we live with that belief deep in our bones? The second generation, and we're also... uh, Uh, going to remember the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. So much of our human experience is filled with pain. The second generation experiences that. But this pain is hidden and buried deep in our hearts. To overcome that pain, we wanted to show how much we are acceptable, how much we can fit in. We ran away from the pain by fitting in. I think at St. Timothy, we're fairly blessed. We get to reflect critically with the help of Scripture through our messages and teachings. We can process and reflect. But when I was there thinking of all the people that have left church, and uh, I mean, I'm here of so-and-so person here and there, I wonder, what is their guiding star in life. What is their anchor? What are they doing? And I talked to an old friend that I hadn't seen in a long time and their children going through mental health issues. They're living so well. But children struggling with mental health issues, identity issues, even in the third generation. What is their anchor? How are we dealing with the things that we've experienced in life. In the Bible, God uses the pain of human experience to work most powerfully. God uses the pain of human experience to show God's power and grace. St. Paul himself confessed that when I am weak, then I am strong because power is made perfect in weakness. 
That was St. Paul's realization, his, the truth he saw, and his proclamation. Yes, when we are weak is when we can be strong, when we have faith in an almighty God who loves us. God takes that pain and transforms it into something beautiful. That is our belief in church. That's what we profess every week. My friends, that only happens when we come face to face with our reality. Face to face with your truth, not burying it. Face to face with your deepest fear and pain. In the Bible, there's a character named Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. His great, he, he lived a very interesting life. His greatest fear and the greatest source of pain was his brother Esau. When they were young, Jacob, he was a cunning guy. Esau was a manly guy. He was the hunter. He was big. He was the firstborn. He was the one who was supposed to inherit all the blessings of the father. But Jacob tricked him into taking all the blessing. And Esau was filled with rage and he wanted to kill Jacob, so he had to run away. And Jacob ran away for many years. And he became very wealthy, successful, prosperous, but in his heart was always this source of pain, regret, remorse, and most of all, fear. So he knew one day when he was much older that he had to go and face it. So he went back to meet Esau. And he was terrified. He tried to send everyone ahead of him with all these gifts so that Esau might be a little placated. But he knew. So he was left all alone by the river on that last night before meeting Esau. When he was all alone, a man came and started wrestling with Jacob. All night, they struggled and they wrestled. And Jacob, though, he would not let go of this man. And the man said, let me go because it's daybreak is coming. Jacob's response is, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he would not let go. So the man asked Jacob, what is your name? When Jacob responded, told his name, this is what the man said. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Jacob faced his deepest fear. He wrestled with it. He would not let go. He would not let go of God until God blessed him. And Jacob prevailed. He prevailed. He paid a price for it. The hip socket was in his joint was taken out and he would walk with a limp for the rest of his life. In a way, it was a heavy price. But he found himself. He emerged from the ordeal of fear and pain with a new identity, with a new sense of who he was. He emerged with authority. Authority to live as Israel now, the one who strives with God and humans and prevails. My friends, 
to live with authority, you must wrestle head-on with your greatest fears. Otherwise, we're living kind of an illusion, spending all our days maybe enjoying the comforts, but not living true life with authority. When you wrestle like Jacob did, God will bless you. That is what the truth that emerges from our scriptures. You will emerge as a new person. You will be free from fear. I mean, after you confront your deepest fear and prevail, what more do you have to be afraid of? You can live life freely. You can discover what your deepest convictions are about life, what your deepest hopes are, and live according to them with courage. That is a blessed life. We should be thankful, yes, that God has brought us this far. God has blessed us in so many ways. We don't have to endure necessarily the same things that we may have endured when we were younger. But just like Jacob, he enjoyed many years of comfort. Moses enjoyed many years of comfort for a while too. But at some point... We need to come back to what is deepest in our souls and deal with it so that we can take the next step that we need in life, which is truly living with authority, with boldness, with confidence, with some conviction, with the vision for your life on where it needs to go and what we can do in this world. We need to be driven by conviction, not convenience. So my friends, let us be free of the need to always fit in. When we're free from fear, you can live an original life. There was a great African-American author, James Baldwin, in the 50s and 60s, and uh, he said this, the place in which I'll fit in will not exist until I make it. The place in which I'll fit will not exist until I make it. My friends, let us make for ourselves a beautiful life, a beautiful place that we fit in. You make it. Live life with the authority of your greatest convictions. I pray we can all take this journey. God is faithful. God is merciful. God will bless you. So let us always pray for God's help to live life with authority.